wonderful word from a wonderful woman today who's been faithful. You know, Moses, it was said that he was faithful in all God's house. And um, honestly, Anita Coco carries that same mantle. So we got a Moses word coming. Watch out. Hold on to your seats. And uh, actually, don't hold on right now. Extend your hands this way, and then we'll pray. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for Anita Coco. Thank you for the gift that she is to the body. Uh, Lord, thank you that she is a word for us, and um, we need it. And thank you that the same commendation that you gave to Moses, that he was faithful in all God's house, is a commendation, a divine accolade that you give to this woman. And we join in that accolade in saying, yes, she's faithful in all God's house, and we want to learn, um, we want to glean from what she has learned from being faithful in all God's house. Bless this woman, set her free to give us the word today. We need it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for Nita Coco. All right. Well, Neil, thank you for that most unique introduction. (laughs) So some of you may be wondering, why am I up here this week? Um, I don't have as many degrees, perhaps, as some in this room. I'm not as funny as uh, Keith Crass or Josh Allen. And I'm probably not quite as charming as Neil or John Prickett. But I do have one thing at least going for me, and that is that I am concise. Yes. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So so (laughs) I will be sticking to the the time slot allotted today. (laughs) Anyways, um, yes, Neil asked me to preach here because um, I do try to live simply. Um, I believe that... um, (laughs) Um, I believe it's a a biblical thing to do, and I hope I can show that to you today. Um, So I was born cheap. Uh, Larry Burkett says that 5% of the population is naturally frugal, and I fall right in there. So how cheap am I? Well, for example, one thing I I used to do is those little dryer sheets that you get, get, I would cut those in half so that would make the box last twice as long so I could save like a whole dollar. Another thing I do um, is I save the bags that the bread, the produce, anything that comes in, those plastic bags, I reuse those for my sandwiches to maybe wrap things. You know, when you open a bag of vegetables, you don't use the whole thing. I put them in those bags and put it back in the freezer. Of course, I can't tell what anything is in the freezer, but, but that's okay because I'm saving money. So um, a third thing that I do is that when I... Just to show you that this started at an early age is I come from a family of six children, and when we would get our Halloween loot, um, I would hoard mine um, in my room and sometimes make it last till Easter. And then, (laughs) because I would be very disciplined and only, you know, have one a day, and then my my sisters and brothers would have to come to me and and beg, and then I could make them do things for me, and, you know. (laughs) So I don't... I don't know. Yeah, he's showing that. Good. Um, so let's just hear for Neil because he's, he's filling in for PowerPoint today and he's doing a great job. So another uh, way that I can think you can see that it's preordained that I was meant to be frugal is, um, you can go ahead and show the next slide, is this verse here, go to the ant, O sluggard, learn her ways and be wise, and you will see that my name includes the word ant. And so, thus, you know, I could not escape my destiny of, of being a hard worker, diligent, and disciplined, and all those things. So, um, anyways, uh, to be more serious, uh, I 
started a long time ago to decide that I would be cheap or frugal towards myself so that I could be generous towards others. And that's the way I try to live. So I prayed this week for a verse or verses to preach from, and this is the one that came into my head. And it's Proverbs 3.27. It says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. So that verse speaks volumes to me. It just shows our responsibility. And then when I Googled it, this commentary uh, came up, and I just thought it was so perfect. I had to read it. The precept expresses the great scriptural thought that the so-called possession of wealth is but a stewardship, that the true owners of what we call our own are those to whom, with it, we may do good. Not to relieve them is a breach of trust. So to me, that just takes that verse a whole step further. It's not just a nice thing to do to give to the poor. We have a responsibility, and not to do it is a breach of trust. So hopefully that will just, you know, stick you right in the heart. And so this next slide, this is the main point of my message. The poor have a right to our excess. So I think that's, that's really important. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me, therefore I am off the hook. Phew. But <laughs> I want to say that that is not true. Uh, two-thirds of the world lives on $2 a day. Probably many of you know that fact. Um, but think about that, two-thirds of the world on $2 a day. Um, meanwhile, if you make $35,000 or more, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealth. That's going to cover most Americans. So we in that 10%, we have a responsibility for the other 90%. So now I'd like to play you a little clip that I saw a couple years ago. It's called The Story of Stuff. Has anybody here already seen it? Oh, good. Well, when I saw it, I mean, I was already, you know, in in the side of things. But this just really uh, showed me how our American way of life is... uh, kind of uh, warped. And so when you see it, you'll, you'll see why. It's just an excerpt, so it starts kind cost. of abruptly. But. What that means is that the real costs of making stuff aren't captured in the price. In other words, we aren't paying for the stuff we buy. I was thinking about this the other day. I was walking to work, and I wanted to listen to the news, so I popped into a radio shack to buy a radio. I found this cute little green radio for $4.99. I was standing there in line to buy this thing, and I was thinking... How could $4.99 possibly capture the cost of making this radio and getting it into my hands? The metal was probably mined in South Africa. The petroleum was probably drilled in Iraq. The plastics were probably produced in China. And maybe the whole thing was assembled by some 15-year-old in a maquiador in Mexico. $4.99 wouldn't even pay the rent for the shelf space it occupied until I came along, let alone part of the staff guy's salary who helped me pick it out, or the multiple ocean cruises and truck rides pieces of this radio went on. That's how I realized I didn't pay for the radio. So who did pay? Well, these people paid with the loss of their natural resource space. These people paid with the loss of their clean air, with increasing asthma and cancer rates. Kids in the Congo paid with their future. 30% of the kids in part of the Congo have dropped out of school to mine coltan, a metal we need for our cheap and disposable electronics. These people even paid by having to cover their own health insurance. All along this system, people pitched in so I could get this radio for $4.99. And none of these contributions are recorded in any accounts book. That's what I mean by the company owners externalize the true costs of production. 
And that brings us to the golden arrow of consumption. This is the heart of the system, the engine that drives it. It is so important that protecting this arrow has become the top priority for both of these guys. That's why after 9-11, when our country was in shock and President Bush could have suggested any number of appropriate things to grieve, to pray, to hope. No, he said to shop, to shop. We have become a nation of consumers. Our primary identity has become that of being consumers, not mothers, teachers, farmers, but consumers. The primary way that our value is measured and demonstrated is by how much we contribute to this arrow, how much we consume, and do we? We shop and shop and shop, keep the materials flowing, and flow they do. Guess what percentage of total materials flow through this system is still in product or use six months after their date of sale in North America? 50%? 20? No. 1%. One. In other words, 99% of the stuff we harvest, mine, process, transport, 99% of the stuff we run through this system is trashed within six months. Now, how can we run a planet with that level of materials throughput? It wasn't always like this. The average U.S. person now consumes twice as much as they did 50 years ago. Ask your grandma. In her day, stewardship and resourcefulness and thrift were valued. So how did this happen? Well, it didn't just happen. It was designed. Shortly after World War II, these guys were figuring out how to ramp up the economy. Retailing analyst Victor LeBeau articulated the solution that's become the norm for the whole system. He said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. President Eisenhower's Council of Economic Advisors chairman said that the American economy's ultimate purpose is to produce more consumer goods. More consumer goods? Our ultimate purpose? Not provide health care or education or safe transportation or sustainability or justice? Consumer goods? How did they get us to jump on board this program so enthusiastically? Well, two of their most effective strategies are planned obsolescence and perceived obsolescence. Planned obsolescence is another word for designed for the dump. It means they actually make stuff to be useless as quickly as possible, so we'll chuck it and buy a new one. It's obvious with things like plastic bags and coffee cups, but now it's even big stuff. Mops, DVDs, cameras, barbecues even, everything. Even computers. Have you noticed that when you buy a computer now, the technology is changing so fast that in just a couple of years, it's actually an impediment to communication? I was curious about this, so I opened up a big desktop computer to see what was inside. And I found out that the piece that changes each year is just a tiny little piece in the corner. But you can't just change that one piece because each new version is a different shape. So you've got to chuck the whole thing and buy a new one. So I was reading industrial design journals from the 1950s when planned obsolescence was really catching on. These designers are so open about it. They actually discuss how fast can they make stuff break that still leaves the consumer having enough faith in the product to go out and buy another one. It was so intentional. But stuff cannot break fast enough to keep this arrow afloat. So there's also perceived obsolescence. Now, perceived obsolescence convinces us to throw away stuff that is still perfectly useful. How do they do that? 
Well, they change the way the stuff looks. So if you bought your stuff a couple of years ago, everyone can tell that you haven't contributed to this arrow recently. And since the way we demonstrate our value is contributing to this arrow, it can be embarrassing. Like I've had the same fat white computer monitor on my desk for five years. My coworker just got a new computer. She has a flat, shiny, sleek monitor. It matches her computer, it matches her phone, even her pen stand. She looks like she's driving in Spaceship Central, and I, I look like I've got a washing machine on my desk. Fashion is another prime example of this. Have you ever wondered why women's shoe heels go from fat one year to skinny the next to fat to skinny? It's not because there's some debate about which heel structure is the most healthy for women's feet. It's because wearing fat heels in a skinny heel year shows everybody that you haven't contributed to that arrow as recently, so you're not as valuable as that person in skinny heels next to you, or more likely in some ad. It's to keep us buying new shoes. Advertisements and media in general plays a big role in this. Each of us in the U.S. is targeted with over 3,000 advertisements a day. We see more advertisements in one year than people 50 years ago saw in a lifetime. And if you think about it, what's the point of an ad except to make us unhappy with what we have? So 3,000 times a day, we're told our hair is wrong, our skin is wrong, our clothes are wrong, our furniture is wrong, our car is wrong, we are wrong, but it can all be made right if we just go shopping. <laughs> so if you uh, want to see the full version of that video, you can just Google it. It's on YouTube, and I highly recommend it. So you don't want to be controlled by, you know, the powers that be and forced to shop till you drop. So I hope that really makes you think the next time you go out to, you know, buy a new pair of shoes or something like that. So let me see where I am here. So... I wanted to uh, show you now one of my uh, life verses, which is uh, James 1.27. And it says that religion is, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that first part, um, again, it it's just really has hit me. It's like, this is what's important to God. Not how many Bible verses you know, or even, you know, of course evangelism is important too. But he really values uh, caring for the least of these. So I wanted to give you some examples from my own life of how I have actually put these things into practice. So about, I guess it was 12 years ago, I started a journey in real estate. I don't really know why. I don't have that much interest in real estate um, but I felt like God was telling me to go ahead and jump in and become a homeowner. And so I bought my first condo in Rowley um, for a whopping like $89,000. But I thought that was just like so much money. And I was willingly, you know, incurring this much debt. And I was terrified, but I did it. So I lived there for five years and it almost doubled in value during that time. I just happened to buy at the right time because God knew that. So I had had this dream in my mind to have a, an apartment or a living space that people could use if they were in transition, they needed to get out of debt. I, I had a lot of friends that were um, in theater and art, and I knew a lot of times you can't make a living at a 9-to-5 job and still do your theater and art. So I thought it would be a good transition maybe for some Gordon students Anyway, so I had this dream, and because um, my condo doubled in value, I was able to buy 4 Judson Street, 
And it's a two-family, but the second and third floor are one unit. So it's a, it was a major fixer-upper. But my friends, the DeFranzas, I convinced them to go in on this with me. So I converted it to condos, sold them the first floor, and I owned the second and third floor. And for five years, that third floor was used by so many people that I can't even list them all. Um, someday I'm going to write it all down. But it's, people would stay there for a day, a, a week, a month, a year. A year was the, was the max. You couldn't stay there longer than that. You're kicked out. So the next person could reap the benefits, and then you needed to pay it forward somehow to somebody else. Um, and it was, it was a, an interesting experiment. It didn't always work well, um, but still a lot of people were blessed by that. Um, so then, after five years, I felt like God was saying, I want you to do it again. I'm like, really? Because, you know, it's very stressful. Um, I, really, I really didn't want to. Um, but I started looking at multifamilies again, and I found um, 31 Arthur Street, where I am now. So I, I purchased this property, converted it to condos, convinced the Neals and the Melansons to go in with me, and um, so I ended up with great neighbors. And because I downsized, I went from owning two floors down to one, I was actually able to pay off my mortgage, which was one of my goals. Um, and uh, by the way, that was not all smooth sailing, this whole thing. I'm just condensing it. But um, in any case, um, you know, downsizing is something that is not the American way. That's swimming against the tide. So I just wanted to show you a little illustration about this. Um, I got to use my button collection for this, none of which I purchased, by the way. Uh, (laughs) They've all been given to me at some point. Um, So let's say that the jar is your lifestyle, okay, and the buttons represent money. So here you are um, with this medium-sized jar, and um, you can see that the jar is pretty full. You're spending most of your income to support your lifestyle. But now let's say you get a promotion or something. And so... You go to put this into your lifestyle, and it actually doesn't fit in there um, because you've, you're already covered there. So you're, most Americans, what they would then do, you get a bigger jar. So you would take your, your money, and you put it in here. And now, now you can fit in this extra money because you can have a bigger house, a bigger car, more clothes, and uh, life is good, right? This is, this is the American way. But what if instead, what if you kept um, the money that was in there, that's minus these two, and then you took this money, and now you can use this to pay down your debt or give it to the poor. Or you can do what I did, and you can downsize, and you can get this. Obviously, all these buttons are not going to fit into this smaller jar. But that's good, because that means now I have all of this left over, and now I can use this, again, to pay off debt, and I can use it to support the poor. So it's pretty cool. So not too many people think this way. I'm fortunate to know somebody else besides me. Um, This is my friend, Brian Glenny. He's a professor at Gordon. And... um, He and his wife, they have a house. I think it's about 1,500 square feet. I'm not positive of all all these specifics. You can ask Brian. 
But um, he decided, you know, people in third world countries, they live in one room. I don't need 1,500 square feet. So me and my family, he has three kids, they live in about seven to 800 square feet, and they rent out their rooms to Gordon College students because they just feel like that's the best use of their resources. So that's pretty cool. So um, another way that I've been able to uh, utilize this practice of saving and is uh, to fund my business, uh, Fire Drops. So very briefly, most people, when they start a business, the first thing they have to do is find investors. Well, I actually had enough money in, in my savings account to finance myself, which gives me a lot of freedom. You know, I didn't incur more debt. I didn't have to be beholden to somebody in case the fire drops didn't sell. You know, it was all on me. Um, so it was a pretty good chunk of money, and I prayed about it for six months before I took this step. I'm like, really, God, is this where I should be putting this money, because it could go so many other places. And I felt like he gave me a green light to go ahead. So this is still in process. I don't really know how it's all going to play out, honestly, but the goal was that the proceeds from this will go to fund uh, human, to end human trafficking. One big way to do that is to provide jobs for the poor. Anyway, so we will see where that goes. But the, the point is that when you are debt-free, when your finances are in order, you can, you can put money towards your dreams, you know, whatever it is. Maybe you want to start a business. Maybe you want to uh, travel. Maybe you feel God's calling to a mission field. But you've got to get those finances under control if you want to realize any of those dreams. So, okay, another uh, biblical example here is I believe it's biblical to go beyond the tithe. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. Neil's just right on top of this here. Um, so Leviticus, um, you know, it says that you're, they were supposed to leave uh, some of the wheat in the fields for the poor to glean. But this is beyond the 10% of the crops that they were asked. So the Lord just, you know, he has it in his mind to provide for the poor. It, it's been established for a long time. So in my own life, and don't want to brag, but um, I give 10% to the church, and then I give another 10% to various organizations that, Changes from year to year, depending on where I feel the Lord is leading me. And, and then even beyond that, my sister, Phyllis, often has financial need, and I can help her out whenever there's a need as well. So I like, I like having that freedom. So let's get down to some nuts and bolts. What are some practical ways that I save money? Okay. Number one, I buy 90% of my clothes at a thrift store. My entire outfit, thrift store. Salvation Army, Savers... They both do good things with, with their money, and uh, I love it. It's great. If something happens to anything here, I don't care. You know, <laughs> I only spend a couple bucks on it. So um, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's the most fun. So that is a huge way that you can save money. Um, another way that I save money is I make almost all my food at home from scratch, um, partly because I want to eat well and organically, um, but also because, um, you know, it costs a lot of money to eat out. I hardly ever do that. It's for a special occasion, I will. But it, it kills me to, to lay down 20 bucks for one meal. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, I could have eaten for two or three days on that same 20 bucks. So uh, I'm extreme. I know, I know. But um, 
<laughs> but just, just think about some of these things. Another way um, that I save money is I use things until they break. So um, this, is, this is my four-and-a-half-year-old MacBook. I'm hoping it'll break soon because I really, <laughs> I really want to get a new computer. It's a little slow, but it won't. It just keeps going. This is, this is one of the ways that God blesses me, you know, that my stuff just lasts forever. But in this case, darn, you know. <laughs> so let me, let me give you another very practical way this might work in your life. Let's say you like Starbucks and you buy one Starbucks coffee a day. Some people buy more than one, but let's say one. I, I think they can be $4. I know some are less, but let's say $4. You buy one a day in a month, that comes to $120. Let's say you, you skip that, and uh, I know the economy, poor Starbucks people. But anyways, um, you start making your coffee at home, and let's allow $30 for a couple pounds of fair trade coffee, of course. And so you've saved 90 bucks a month. Let's say you take this 90 bucks, and those of you who have done Dave Ramsey will already know this. You take it, you put it towards your smallest debt, and you pay that off. And then when that debt is paid off, you take the minimum credit card payment plus the 90 bucks, and you put it towards um, another debt. And you keep going until you've paid off all your debt. So after that, you throw a party, and you buy a new computer, and you get yourself a new dress. No, that's not what you do. <laughs> no, now, now you have extra money. You could buy something if you've been that good. But, you know, now you could perhaps take $1,000, let's say, and go on the, the Kiva site, and you could loan that money to a woman in Uganda so she can start her own basket business, and then she's going to be able to lift herself out of poverty. Her kids can get an education. They won't be sold into slavery. She's going to reinvest into her community. She's going to pay you back lickety-split because she's a hard worker. She just needed a chance. Now you can take that same $1,000 and loan it to somebody in Africa. They can do the same thing, and now you've just helped to level the economic playing field by giving up Starbucks coffee. So, there you go. It's, everybody can do this, and we can all contribute to making the world a better place. So, you might be sitting there thinking, Anita, you don't have a right to tell me how to spend my money. And uh, most people do not want to be told how to spend their money, and I don't either. But fortunately, I don't have to, because God is going to do it. So, <laughs> so, hopefully when you pray about this, you'll, you'll, you might... See some ways that uh, God is speaking to you. So, where do you fall on the scale of living simply? This is uh, St. Francis over here. (laughs) And this would be Donald Trump. And you see how Donald, he doesn't look very happy. You see, wealth does not make you happy. You know, Francis, serene, you know. So anyways, this is the scale And I want you to think about where do I fall in this scale? Where would I like to be in this scale? And then what is one goal that I could set today that's going to get me towards living more simply? Because you have to pick this one. This is just, you don't get to pick that one. But (laughs) anyways, um, and I don't want you to, I want you to make it very specific. Don't just say, I want to get out of debt. And not even, I want to get rid of my credit card debt. But how, what is one thing you would do so that you can get rid of your credit card debt? And um, you can just uh, pray about that and maybe share it with somebody today. And um, the worship team can come on back up. Um, In fact, um, where is Matt? 
Let's see. Matt Schwabauer. Oh, I, Matt, if you wouldn't mind just sharing just one practical thing that you shared with me that you're doing to put this into practice this very week, that would be a good way to end this, and then I can pray. Yeah, so I, I was telling Anita last week, actually, um, that I was really excited about her preaching this week because I have been wanting lately, really badly, to simplify my life. And so... Um, Last night, actually, I started cleaning my room. It's very messy. You can actually see some floor now. It's nice. Um, and my whole, like, my desk chair is just full of stuff that I'm planning on giving to a thrift store. Just, I don't need it anymore. Someone else can use it. Yay! <laughs> so let's just pray. And, um, you know, if you feel like you want to come up and get prayer, the rugs are there for that. So. Lord God, we just thank you, Father, for all the the riches that we do have, not just our money, but our time, our resources, God. And you want us to be a good steward of all these things, Lord, so that we can uh, care for those who don't have as much, just like they did in Acts, God. So I pray that you would just speak to people today and and show them what you want them to do, because it's so individual, God. Every person is different. Um, But I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will have your way and that you will use us to bless the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have Anita lay hands on John and I to impart the gift of conciseness. So if you want to join us up here, please feel free. (laughs) In all seriousness, I feel like one of the things that the Spirit of God is whispering, you know, a refrain that Jesus often had was, um, um, you know, for those who have ears to hear, you know, let them hear. And so Anita, in a, in a timid, sorry, Tim, not timid, maybe in a quiet packaging, has given us a zinger that we actually really need to respond to. So I just encourage you, hey, you know, where is the Lord asking you to um, give your, you know, where is the excess that God's asking you to put towards something better? I think that's, that's probably the, one of the main questions. The other thing I want to share is um, with uh, the prayer team that prayed ahead of the service. They always are just saying, Lord, what do you want to do today? And let me just give you a brief list of some of the things that they felt like God wanted to do. One is if uh, your right ear is in pain, not working, or otherwise dysfunctional, we want to pray for that. They had a thought that God would like to restore people who feel they don't have anything to be thankful for. So if during these last few days you found yourself just a little bit on the unthankful side, please come and let us pray with you. Um, another word that they had was just that uh, was just simply the word surrender. So if there's if you feel you, yourself kind of resisting God and God just inviting you to surrender, please come up here and just surrender your heart to the Lord. And also um, another physical thing with the right ear was right arm. So if your right arm is in pain, we want to pray for you. Amen. So hey, we're, we're the house. This is the house of God. We're the body of believers. So please, let's be the body. Pray for.